1: Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal, Özil marca Mesut Gol. Piére Merico va Millán, Piére Merico va Millán, Piére Merico va El 1-1. Esto es el Arsenal.
2: This is AskCast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Ars Cast Extra, as always with James from Gunnerblog. Vlog. James, um look, you knew I was gonna do something right.
1: I I had an inkling. Let's go let's go that far.
2: Let, let's do it. <laughs>
1: It's goodly morning. The goodliest morning you can have. Wow. Wow. Goodly morning to you, too. That was amazing. Good morning.
2: Yeah, well, you know, we had to put something together to celebrate the uh, momentous occasion of Arsenal winning a game of football again. Get the fuck in.
1: I uh, know it's such a nice feeling to be sitting down to do one of these and it not be bad news. It yeah. feels like such <laughs> sweet relief. It does. I mean,
2: and the thing about it is, is that we've had so much to talk about in these ga- after these games when things have gone wrong. You know, the podcasts have been really very long. So mm. we're going to keep this one to about fourteen, fifteen minutes, and that's it, just to make up for it. You know,
1: <laughs> find some balance. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's. I mean, it's been a difficult week or so, hasn't it? I mean not not just our own results, but other things. Other things have happened. No they have been... haven't. No, they
2: haven't. <laughs> la, 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 la la la. La 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 nothing's happened.
1: Can't hear you. Yeah. Um and now, yes, listen, uh, we have something of our own to celebrate at the very least. Yes. So thank goodness.
2: Yes we do. A European final. Fantastic. Um uh, and performances over two legs against Valencia that I think we can take some some real heart from. Uh, you know, things haven't been good domestically. We can all see that, but in Europe, we beat Napoli at home. We beat Napoli away. We beat Valencia at home. We beat Valencia away. You know they're mm-hmm. not necessarily the greatest teams of all time, but I would suggest I'd say this to you, James, that you know if you were to put, for example, Valencia against Leicester or Wolves or Crystal Palace, you know they might well beat those teams. So I'm saying that in terms of the opposition we've we've lost to in the Premier League versus the opposition that we've uh, beaten in Europe, there's I don't know what the connection is now. I've lost my train of thought completely.
1: No, I know what you mean. I almost sort of can't bear to think about how good we can look against a Valencia or a Napoli uh, as compared to how bad we can look against teams Mm. from sort of the the middle regions of the Premier League. It sort of makes my head hurt when I try and break it down. But I am choosing to look on the bright side and it is quite remarkable, really, that given our away form, we have won both away legs as well as the home legs against those teams. And those two teams as well who let's not forget, dropped out of the Champions League into this competition, so you know I think with all our fears about oh, how would we actually fare in the Champions League we've not two theoretically Champions League teams out on our way to the final.
2: Yeah so look tell me this how worried were you in the opening 15 minutes because I have
1: to <laughs> say <Extremely>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> as much as we're going to celebrate what happened I think it's fair to point out that the, the start that Valencia have I mean I don't think they could have asked for anything better if they had a game plan that was certainly it. Score early put us under pressure take advantage of the fact that we're not particularly good away from home and you know, put the shits up us. It was very close to being two 0 to Valencia because the guy uh, he hit a shot. I think that shot was going in the one that hit his own man, having already gone oh, yeah. ahead. And at that point, you know, the the tie would have been well level, uh, but we would have been as it stood going out because of the away goals rule, which, of course, has played a significant part in in European uh, results this week. That didn't happen, actually. Never happened. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> so it was a little bit worrying in the opening stages of the game.
1: Yes, it was. And I guess that kind of is a consequence of... What you could call the gamble that Unai Emery took by playing two strikers, I'm not sure that is a gamble, really, in our position. I sort of think it's what he absolutely had to do. But in doing it, um, it, you know, it meant that defensively, he was asking, really, Lacazette and Aubameyang to sort of split and almost cover the the wing-backs in those Mm. wide areas. And I think it left the wing-backs quite exposed, quite isolated. Ainsley Maitland-Niles had quite a a difficult time in that first 20 minutes and of course their opening goal actually came from a chance he sort of had in the opposition penalty box the way we recovered from that so yeah we looked a little bit ropey fortunately we just had that bit of goal scoring quality that was enough for us on the night but definitely the start especially with all the comebacks that have happened this week I was thinking please God not another comeback
2: not another one I mean I'm just watching the build up to our first goal here and it comes Not long after Rodrigo smashed a shot really uh, a couple of inches wide of the post... And what was interesting was it was so against the run of play. Yeah, here's the long kick from Czech. Goes up in the air. Lacazette flicks it on. He's no right to win that header against those guys. And what a brilliant finish from Obama Yang. But um, I downloaded the game again. I'm watching on Spanish television. And they're just sort of, they've cut to somebody, um, a, a lady, I don't know who it is, but they're talking about something other than the game. And, and all of a sudden the guy goes, oh, watch out. Here's Obama Yang. Goal! And it sort of sums up how kind of against the run of play it was.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, the camera work, because uh, I don't know if you got this on your pictures last night, but during the build-up to Valencia's goal, uh, opening goal, it cut to Emery, like, midway through the move, and he was sort of had his arms out as if to be like, where's the midfield? <laughs> uh, and then they cut back to the move, and they consequently scored. And then, yeah, the same with that one. I mean, it's interesting people, I'm sure we'll get onto this subject, but there's a lot of chat about the goalkeeper and Czech's tendency to go long. Well, this was one of the occasions where it it... Paid dividends, and we went direct to the strikers. I think Lacazette deserves massive credit for the way he fought for that ball, competed for. Mm. He did that all night. It's weird because they're a traditional strike partnership in some ways, but the hold-up player is the smaller man, and that's Lacazette. And he, you know, he makes a nuisance of himself. He puts himself about, and he gets the flick on. And the finish from Abayang is brilliant. Really, I mean, I think it's up there. Almost with the goal he scored against Spurs at the Emirates Stadium for sort of an instinctive yeah. first-time finish outside the box. Yeah, fantastic goal, fantastic goal, and immediately settled the nerves. And sort of as soon as we scored, I thought, I think we're probably going to be okay here.
2: Yeah, it was a, the the timing of the goal was so crucial because Valencia were very much on top, and if they'd scored another goal, you could have seen pretty easily how, you know. With our recent record and with confidence not quite as high as it would normally be, or you'd like it to be, how we could have gone into our shell. So the timing of that goal, not just good for us, but bad for them. I think it really knocked the stuffing out of them, to be honest. Um, not completely. Uh, we've,
1: Go on. No, just something we've talked about on, on the show is how Arsenal do seem to struggle when they have a setback, you know, when they fall behind. Mm. They're not that good at responding. But yeah. I thought in this game, we went behind we did get that goal straight away then you know we got in front they pegged us back but it wasn't too long until we were ahead again uh for some reason in this match we were able to to find the resolve and and have those moments so that was a a big thing a lot of that is down to the strikers I think Mm. you know we talked about um leadership quite a lot on the last show after the Brighton game and I think there are different kinds of leaders and I thought the strikers really led by Example in this. Well, selection. you
2: know, you, in this match and in the first game, because we talked about it last week, didn't mm-hmm. we, when we said that basically the the two strikers took it in their own hands to go and win that game for Arsenal. And over the course of the two legs, they've scored seven goals. They got two assists between them. You know, it's really a remarkable contribution. And, you know, the team selection that Unai Emery made was not a surprise at all. I think that's what we were basically all expecting based on, you know, the the, the context of the game. Uh, you know, us taking a two-goal lead into it, I wasn't really expecting him to go with a back four. Team selection was exactly what I thought it was going to be um but again it was i think it was more to do with the individual quality and desire of our strikers i don't want to take and i'm not trying to take anything away from the manager who's who's uh, got us to a european final that's not my point here i just feel like in these two games They've been the driving force behind the results and the performances. It's not really, you couldn't say, well, this was a tactical masterclass from Emery. He got us to play in this specific way. I think really these two guys have just taken both games by the scruff of the neck. And the quality and character that they have means that when that's effective, it's really, really effective. Uh, And and it's, it's served us so well.
1: I don't think anyone could really argue with that. I mean, even this performance, which, you know, is really one of our highlights of the season, especially in terms of the result and what it signifies. We conceded two goals. We looked, to be honest, like we might concede one or two more. You know, Valencia had other chances in the game. I thought our midfield was pretty ragged at times uh, and, you know, stretched quite regularly. But the strikers just made the difference and they they are players of top top quality uh, to borrow a phrase from Harry Redknapp and they uh, you know I think they're Champions League strikers essentially playing yeah. Europa League team and I think I said after the first leg that we I think we have the best forward line in this competition and well we've, we've benefited from it massively and obviously the, the final looms on the horizon but you wouldn't bet against either of those guys making an impact in that game too, the way that they've taken this competition by the scruff of the neck. Absolutely
2: not. So I, I think the 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 way we played the rest of the first half was quite pleasing, particularly in the final few minutes of the half where we just needed to see it out. And
1: uh, We yeah. hit the post as well, didn't we, Lacazette?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, 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 true.
1: In fact, that was the moment, I think, where I thought Aubameyang's really on it. Tonight, yes. this is where he sort of had the ball on the right wing and kind of skipped outside his man, played the perfect pullback, and Lacazette just denied by the width of the post. But it was such good play for Bamian. Mm. You know, for a player who we talk about his goals, but sometimes his all-round game isn't quite at that level. In that moment, I think you saw that on the night it was.
2: Yeah, I think the best way I could describe his performance is Henri-esque. Mm-hmm. I think there were shades of Thierry Henry in that performance not just in terms of the goals he scored but how he scored the goals you know the way he lashed home that 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 third goal was was fantastic the movement, the pace, the power, the build-up play, as you said, creating for for Lacazette, and even in the the second goal, which we got early enough in the in the second half, he picked up a loose ball, drove on, lost it, but didn't give up. He didn't give up on it, and, and wins a tackle, doesn't w- w- it? Yeah, much. wins a tackle. The ball uh, squizzes out there to Terrera, who fires it into Lacazette, and actually, w- you know, w- we'll I guess more praise on Aubameyang than Lacazette uh, today because I think it really was a 10 out of 10 performance from from Aubameyang but mm. when you give the ball to Lacazette in that area in the box even though he's got his back to goal we've seen him do it so many times this season he's got this amazing ability to find space and turn and get a shot away and I think that was a, a really brilliant goal and obviously the timing of it, the importance of it, it meant that Valencia needed four goals in normal time uh, to to go through and that gave us the the right cushion, the kind of cushion we needed to go on and, and win the game.
1: Yeah, I mean it's that low centre of gravity, isn't it? He sort of shifts his body weight so brilliantly and and once he finds that bit of space, he strikes the ball so well and that's been a feature of his game. All season, mm. As he banged in that goal, I just reflected on, you know, the player that he looked when we signed Aubameyang. And, you know, I know he was carrying a knee injury at that time, but the difference in him in the last 18 months, in Lacazette in particular, is quite amazing. I yeah. mean, the way in which he's sort of faced up to the challenge of English football and the move to Arsenal and everything that entails, and the, the way he's responded, the physicality that he has Shown uh, the attitude that he has shown. Mm. I, I think, you know, given all... I think there were reservations about him when we paid all the money we did for him and Arsene Wenger sort of looked at him for a few years before the deal actually went through. And his first season in some ways sort of played into those ideas that maybe he wasn't quite of that elite level. But I think his development in his second season is amazing, really amazing. It's a huge, huge improvement. And... uh yeah, he's just become a, a, a fantastical round forward, really. And uh, I thought the goal was brilliant. And I actually think it's a bit of a shame in some ways that he only ended up with the one goal. And we're probably going to talk about him a bit less than Aubameyang because it was a, a really, really good display yeah. from him. And a lot of it was about the partnership, I think.
2: No, I think you're right. And I think in, in some ways the fact that he has dovetailed so well with Aubameyang has contributed to that To that. Um, development that you talk about in his second season you know he looks a more confident player but he also knows he's got a a strike partner or somebody that he can play with who understands him you know I think that's kind of rare we can talk about partnerships um, a lot but sometimes they develop over time but other times, mm-hmm. two players just get each other and they just get it straight away on the pitch and off the pitch as well. Uh, I think that has a that has a big impact, you know.
1: Uh, and what a response as well to the signing of Aubameyang, which, you know, in some ways looked like it signalled Lacazette almost being relegated to the substitutes bench. They, I mean, there's, there's a bit of luck of involved, I guess, in terms of the chemistry that they have on and off the pitch. But, you know, neither of them has said, well, look, you're... My rival here, they've yeah. made it work and they've made themselves absolutely instrumental to our fortunes.
2: And it's absolutely the best part of our team. There's no yeah. question about it. You know, when you, when you look through from front to back or back to front, you can see where improvements need to be made uh, this summer. And, uh, you know, those are things I guess we can talk about. Uh, you know maybe in this podcast or in the podcast to come between now and uh, the transfer window opening and all that kind of stuff, but you know you look at those two and you think, well, really is there anybody else in the Premier League who has as good a partnership or as good a pair I mean obviously the 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 forwards at Liverpool are fantastic, but I think they're sort of in a different system. They're not quite as uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Maybe maybe their Liverpool aren't quite as reliant on them as we are on those two. If that makes sense.
1: No, and, and also in terms of sort of centre forwards, you know, I, I think yeah. they've got Firmino, who's fantastic. But beyond that, uh, there's a bit of a gap. You know, in terms of having two central strikers, two pure goal scorers. That not that that's all that they do, but you know, in terms of having those two centre forwards, I think we're unparalleled mm. in in the Premier League you know maybe Aguero and, and Jesus but they don't play together and when we signed Lacazette in that summer it's worth remembering Chelsea went out and bought Maratta, United went out and bought Lukaku both for bigger fees and at the time they were kind of viewed as maybe signings from a tier above Lacazette well you know a couple of years on I think it probably looks like we got the best deal yeah. in that scenario mm. um, yeah and, and I yeah I, I think they are fantastic and you know all season long we've seen people sort of almost sort of feeling like they might have to choose between them don't care Uh, yeah well I I understand it a little bit because I understand the idea that maybe we in an ideal world would play with one striker and with you know more wide players but with what we have available our best team undoubtedly has these two on the pitch
2: yeah and can we just
1: go on uh, I suppose the fact that we sort of talk about oh well, would you sell Lacazette or would you sell Aubameyang, tells you, well, you could. There are people who would like these players. You know, Barcelona are linked with a mood for Lacazette. You know, you think any club in the world would probably take a goal scorer of Aubameyang's reliability. So there aren't other areas of the pitch where Barcelona are looking at our centre-halves or central (laughs) midfielders.
2: That's exactly it, isn't it? People are saying, well, we've we've got to sell these guys. You know, how do we sell... Mustafi, for example, or if we wanted to move Ozil on, how do we sell Ozil given his contract and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff? Whereas you could see very easily how you could sell Aubameyang or Lacazette. The point I want to make, and I think you've just made, is that, you know, we, we cannot, uh, with all the work that we have to do, take away the best thing about this squad and this team if we really want to make progress. So mm. it's about maybe finding players this summer who who can help those guys be even better. If we can find creators, if we can find passers from midfield, people who can make chances for them. Because, you know, over the course of these two games, uh, I know they had a bit more service last night than they did in the first game. But really, it's about them dragging this team and pulling this team over the line in terms of their own contributions. And I think, you know, when you look at our domestic form um, in the Premier League, one of the big problems is the fact that we don't create enough chances for our two extremely good strikers. So I think that's where we really need to concentrate, um, or certainly one of the areas we need to concentrate on this summer.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, 48 goals between them this season, I think, speaks for itself. And, you know, in a team that doesn't have uh, a huge variety of goal scorers, we've lent heavily into their ability and, and relied on them to an extent. And, they have made a difference. And, of course, at this stage last season, you know, we got to the semi-final, but we didn't have Aubameyang available. He was cut tied in Europe, I, I think. He was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was eligible to play last night, and what a difference it made.
2: For sure. OK, Valencia got another one back. Not particularly great defending from us again. Um, any issues no. with anything? I mean, um,
1: the it, goalkeeping? It was a good ball, I thought. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the midfielder the guy used to play for QPR um, Rodrigo? No, no, Parejo Parejo, yeah it was a good ball but I thought Kalasinac was quite switched off you know it was in between Monreal and Kalasinac and uh, the runner wasn't really tracked by either of them um, and the goalkeeping maybe I mean I would say both the goals Valencia scored they got a bit of luck with deflections you know the first one the cross deflected perfectly into the guy's path at the far post and this one it sort of looped up hit Rodrigo, it it wasn't the most convincing goalkeeping I've ever seen but I I think it, I don't know if it's realistic to expect Czech to save that
2: No, I don't, I mean I think it was just uh, maybe maybe a goalkeeper with slightly quicker reactions could have saved it but I think it it was you know there was an element of of bad luck from our point of view bad defending i think monreal was bad socrates wasn't great either uh, in terms of letting the guy run past him i'm just watching the replay again here it is a very good pass between the defenders uh here we go yeah monreal
1: yeah the check is just
2: a little bit slow you know
1: but yeah, yeah, it's one of those where we look at it and we say our oh, our defenders are at fault. But you know, if it was Meza Erzel playing that pass, we'd be talking about the quality of the pass. So of course, yeah. I, I do have a measure of sympathy with the defenders there, but yeah, I mean, check. It wasn't a particularly convincing moment. I'm sure we've probably got questions. We about, do, we do, we do about check. So we'll get on to that.
2: Okay, so still in a very commanding position, Arsenal. Um, Maitland-Niles then provides uh, a fantastic ball for Aubameyang. Uh, The movement uh, of the striker was brilliant. When you look at where he started from when Maitland-Niles has the ball out on the right-hand side, he just ghosts between the two central defenders. Great little bit of play on the right from Maitland-Niles as well, who I thought, you know, started... It was difficult for him at the start because of how exposed we were down the down the sides, mm. um, but really grew into the game. Um, and not for the first time he's put in a good ball this season. I mean, it's a good little trick. Here's the pass, and there's Aubameyang. Like, the pace and the power and just the desire to get on the end of that ball.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, I loved this goal, actually, I have to say. It felt to me a little bit like... Uh, an Invincibles goal almost because it was so much about pace and power and movement from Maitland-Niles on the wing absolutely blitzing past his man with a lovely bit of skill and acceleration and then Aubameyang's acceleration in the box it's a classic Aubameyang goal it's the sort of chance that he gets in every single game because his movement inside that 18 yard box is so good and yeah a really good contribution from Maitland-Niles who I thought had a, a difficult task and a tricky night defensively in some respects but uh that was as good as anything I've seen from him, really. That little one-two step past his man and fizzing the cross into the near post, and so that made it three. Was that no? That was three-two on the three, night. Three-two on it? the
2: night, yeah. So that made so six,
1: it six-three on aggregate. Yeah,
2: you know. So I mean, game was well and truly done and dusted. I mean, it was safe, I mean, it was safe anyway, really. But yeah, uh, you know, we 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 didn't take our foot off the pedal, which I like. You know?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And as I, as I said before, we responded to you know potential setbacks in pretty convincing uh, fashion. You yeah. Know? So once they got their second goal, we, we I'm trying to look at the timings now, but they scored on 58. Yeah, Gamera got his second, and then within 10 minutes, 11 minutes, yeah. restored the lead. So I, I really liked that aspect of our game. And every time we came under threat, we just Sort of went back to leaning into that forward quality and, and uh, it worked
2: um, he did change a couple of things Mkhitaryan came on for, for Mesut Ozil um, yeah. what, was, what, what was your take on the Ozil reaction to the, to the change I mean he looked really unhappy about being taken off but he seemed to be more unhappy with the Valencia fans than with Emery
1: yeah, it seemed to change, didn't it? Well, the commentators, uh, certainly on the English commentary I was watching, were sort of suggesting, oh, this initial reaction was to the idea that he was being substituted. Then which he got I booked, think it was. I think. Yeah. He got booked, didn't he, for taking his time, leaving the pitch, um, which wasn't really sort of necessary time-wasting in the circumstances, <laughs> given the, the cushion that we had. It wasn't yeah. like it was the last 10 minutes or anything. Uh, and then by the, by the time he reached Emery, he'd sort of, uh, Given the the old shush finger to the Valencia fans and then him and Emery seemed sort of to have a little embrace on the touchline it seemed like they yeah. seemed okay between them so I don't really know what to make of that as far as the change goes I thought it made sense really I thought Ozil had been pretty quiet in the mm. game and Mkhitaryan was fresh and I actually quite like what Mkhitaryan does in that role behind the strikers. He came on in the first leg and was involved in the third goal and was involved in our last goal in this game too after coming on in that position. So I think it suits his ability to find space uh, sort of in the channels really and he sort of pops up everywhere which I think uh, works for him. So yeah, I thought it made sense. Ozil, not sure. I guess he just didn't want to come off, did he? And then... I think he turned his frustration on the Valencia fans maybe rather than his own coach.
2: Yeah, yeah, strange, strange little thing. I thought it was, you know, I don't know what... Uh, maybe he's got some previous with Valencia fans that we don't know about from his time at Real Madrid. Well, that's it. Of
1: course, he was a Madrid player. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe they were giving him a hard time as a consequence of that.
2: Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, Gunduzi came on. Mustafi came on for Kolasinac. Um It didn't really change very much. And then, of course, we scored that that fourth goal. Aubameyang securing his first hat trick for the club. Nice ball from Mkhitaryan, nice movement, of course, from Aubameyang as well. And the finish, we don't always associate him with with power when it comes to mm. his finishing, but there was a lot of power in that finish. It really just fizzed past the goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, I think when he's in that right-hand channel, he does tend to go for power more. There was a goal at the Emirates Stadium earlier this season. I forget, I forget who it was against, but a similar strike, which went in at the near post, you know, high into the net. Uh, but that was a brilliant take. Nice move as well. I think Mm. Mduzzi was involved, Uh, Mkhitaryan with the step-over, was it? And then and finding him with the little reverse pass. Lovely goal, really lovely goal, and a fantastic way to seal a hat-trick and set the seal on just a, a really good evening for Arsenal and yeah. one that they sorely, sorely needed. I think one that we all sorely needed.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it really does change your mood, doesn't it? And there was a nice mm-hmm. little bit of a little bit of a scrap at the end as well, which was great. I Couldn't enjoyed I that. Can figure
1: out what went on there? Could you tell?
2: Uh, basically, I think Lacazette took offence to somebody giving him a kick Maitland-Niles is there, pulls the guy away, and then Maitland-Niles gives the guy a like a two-handed shove in the chest, at which point Gabrielle came over and got involved and started swinging arms at, at Maitland-Niles, and then I think it all just kind of calmed down. But I love a little bit of that. I like a little bit of argy-bargy. Um,
1: yeah, and I like that Maitland-Niles is a young guy, a quiet guy. He was prepared to sort of mm. get involved a little bit when it all kicked off. I also found it quite funny how the camera... Kept sort of cutting to Gabriel for his sort of shell shocked reactions throughout the game, <laughs> and Cacala. Uh, yeah, just nice to see a, a, a man associate with Arsenal on the receiving end of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, other than the other way around.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, you could see their dead, dead eyes behind i uh, just looking here at Gabriel Koscielny's come over and Gabriel's wagging his finger as if like some terrible yeah. thing has happened. But, you know, he, he started fighting an empty room, Gabriel, when he's on the pitch, of course. Um, I think he admitted that himself before the game. But look, you know, we we can't underestimate the importance of this win, um, not just for the team or the fans or Unai Emery but you know for the club and what it might mean for the future because not only do we have a chance to win a trophy we've got a chance to get back into the Champions League which is mm-hmm. is so so important obviously the trophy is the single most important thing but when we talk about what we need to do this summer and how we need to rebuild 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 uh, that was a strange intonation but You know, having the Champions League money is a very, very important part of that. So let me just ask you a quick question while I've got it here. Can you tell me what all of these clubs have in common? If you can. Uh, Locomotive Moscow, Hoffenheim, Young Boys, Galatasaray, Victoria Pilsen, Club Bruges,
1: and Shakhtar Donetsk. Um oh I don't know. Are they are they UEFA cup winners? No. All of those clubs have earned
2: far more money than Arsenal from European football this season. Wow. Yeah, and there's a big there's a list. I mean, we are in 33rd place. Um, we've earned somewhere in the region of 20 million from the Europa League. I think there's an 8 million euro prize for winning the Europa League, which would bring your uh, your income from the Europa League to around 28 million euros, which is, you know, a lot of money. But uh, when you compare it to what teams at the top end of the Champions League are going yes. to earn. You whoever know the, they might be. Whoever they might be. Uh, Our our good friend uh, Kieran from Swiss Ramble uh, suggests that uh, the teams in the final would be earning somewhere in the region of 100 million euros. Plus there's another, I don't know how much it is, four, five, eight million uh, euros for, for winning the final. So that tells you what the gap in revenue is you know, 25 percent, basically, if you go all the way in the Champions League, uh, you get 25 percent of that if you go all the way in the Europa League. I don't really have any any expectation of us going all the way in the Champions League if we get in there next season. But certainly that level of income would have a, a profound effect on the business that we could do uh, in the the transfer market this summer. And that, I think, is why, you know, we can talk about football and things being the same and familiar failings. But that, for me, was one of the big frustrations of, of top four. Top four isn't just this ephemeral thing. It's not just a a status thing. Um, we don't want to talk about top four being a trophy, but when you have top four in your hands and you have that level of income that you can use, or that it's the only thing that we can use to reinvest in the squad, right, is, is that income, because that's the way this club is run. It's self-sustaining. So what we generate, we can spend. That's what's played into this frustration of how things have gone in the Premier League and, and the fact that we haven't finished in the top four, because it's impossible to overstate how important that revenue is. If we want this club to progress, what's wrong with the way I'm saying things today? To progress. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Um, but, you know, that, that that's sort of why things have been so frustrating. So to have this opportunity to, to, A, win a trophy, and B, get into the Champions League by winning that trophy is fucking fantastic because... Um, this is kind of like our, our safety net of the season
1: it is yeah it's the backstop but, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're the Brexit finals aren't they all English teams I, I uh, yeah it's great that we've got that uh, to look forward to I mean we've seen that so many times our season saved by a cup final I mean that was a, a recurrent theme wasn't it of course a few years ago Yeah. not too long ago Uh, And it does mean that suddenly... I mean, it's a long way off, isn't it? It's about two and a half weeks, isn't it? 29th of May, yes.
2: So it's like two weeks from Wednesday.
1: Yeah. So it gives you something to keep the hope alive, really, and, and keep our chances of Champions League qualification alive, which I completely agree are vital for this club. I think the longer we're out of that competition, the more damaging it will be, both financially in terms of our status I think in terms of morale I think these players you know they want to play in the Champions League they must be motivated to play in the Champions League someone like a Lacazette someone like an Aubameyang and I think you could see a bit of that in these performances Um, top four would have been great it would have been fantastic to be going into that final not worrying about Champions League qualification uh, and just thinking about the trophy but if it provides a little bit of extra incentive then so be it I mean it's it's a huge opportunity for a little bit of redemption, and uh, to give I, ourselves as a. Can I oh, stop
2: yeah. you there? I think it's a lot of redemption. I think it's a lot of redemption, yeah. not a little bit of redemption. I think it's a big fucking gigantic. It's a skipful of redemption. If we're going to go down, it's the- a skipful of redemption. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and I do believe that a lot of the ills of the last few weeks probably would be uh, treated with a little bit more sympathy if we come back from Baku with a trophy and, you know, a place in the Champions League under our arm. But look, it's going to be a a nightmarishly nerve-wracking occasion because there is now so much riding on it and against uh, a London rival as well.
2: Yeah. Would you feel less nervous, less um, pressure if it were Frankfurt who were in a a commanding position (laughs) in the penalty shootout and then fucked it up?
1: And they had a great chance in extra time as well. I don't mm, know if you saw it, but an did, incredible yeah. opportunity to win it. I, I was sort of willing Frankfurt on, even though they look like a very decent side. And in Jovic, they've got one of Europe's uh, hottest properties a centre forward. Well, we've got two, so I guess we shouldn't worry too much about that. But uh, mm. I, I just think, you know, losing to Chelsea is so much more frightening a prospect they're losing to Frankfurt. To yeah, I
2: mean, they, they, um, I have to say, I was I was looking at it, and uh, as as um, excited and exhilarated and as optimistic as I am uh, to be in a European final, and I think it's an amazing thing. I, I can't say that the image of Olivier Giroud supplicating himself on his knees in front of the Arsenal fans crying with shame having scored the winner for Chelsea against us didn't go through my mind while some Mm. people still sing the Giroud song at him
1: yes well I think he's (laughs) I think he's the joint top goal scorer in the European League Uh, he is he's been playing most of the games for Chelsea in the competition so very very good chance we'll come face to face with him very good chance. We come face to face with Eden Hazard in possibly his last Chelsea game. Mm. It will be a, a, a tough game, no doubt, and one that I'll be watching, you know, sort of through my fingers. But we've beaten Chelsea in a final not too long ago, and we, we all thoroughly enjoyed that yeah, day.
2: And we've beaten Chelsea uh, this season as well.
1: Yeah, and I thought even away and from home against them, we gave a decent account of ourselves, and probably should have got a bit more than we did. And if Unai Emery has a strength, it is these games against yeah. so-called big opposition. Yes, um, he I'd has a, play, of a formula.
2: I'd rather play Chelsea in the final than than Crystal Wolves. Palace or Wolves. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know what so, that says about us. Yeah, maybe it will play to his strengths uh, and to a certain extent the team's strengths. You know, if you look at our record this season, yeah, uh, we we certainly have to hope so. But look, it's. I know it's not the Champions League, but it is a European final. And I think there's a lot of younger fans who don't remember Arsenal winning a European final. You know, you've got to go back to the the early 90s, isn't it? 94.
2: Yeah, 94. So
1: so. it would be a great thing. It's a real blot on our copybook as a club that we haven't won more European silverware. Uh, And what it would mean in terms of getting back to that top table of European football, I think would be would be huge and would yeah. give us a, a far better chance of pushing on and being there next season because you know Chelsea have had their transfer ban upheld so that's going to really you know cause them problems I think next season and yeah. I mean they're going to be limited in the transfer market Manchester United there's question marks over what's going on there with uh, their technical director with their with their coach Ole Solskjaer if we can get into the Champions League and if we can recruit smartly then I think we have a real chance to push back into that top four. But
2: yeah, I agree. A, a
1: lot rides on that on that match in
2: No, it absolutely does. But I think you're right. There is an opportunity. Um which we can take if we obviously win that final. That's in our hands as, as much as it can be when you're playing a game of football. But um, there is the opportunity to push on and to invest and to uh, to make this squad better and stronger and hopefully make the chances of uh, finishing in the top four next season even better. And, of course, I think the other thing that we, if we did get into the Champions League, is that I, I don't think the Champions League is as difficult to deal with in the final part of the season as the Europa League, you know? You
1: don't get the Thursday-Sunday thing. No, you don't. I mean, people say, people say, well, what's
2: the difference between Wednesday and Saturday and Thursday and Sunday? Well, the difference is sometimes you play Tuesday-Saturday or Tuesday-Sunday. Mm. So, yeah. you know, you, you do have more time. I think there's one less round as well in the Champions League. Um, you know, it is, it is huge... Uh, for the club this summer, um, so a lot rests on on that particular game. Uh, and I think as well, we should point out that since we had that terrible half in Rennes when we went down to 10 men, and Unai Emery, uh, I think, got it wrong in terms of how he dealt with being down to 10 men. Uh, since then, in Europe, we've been really very good. We beat Mm Ren at home. We should have beaten Ren, what, five or six when you look at the chances that we missed. We beat Napoli without conceding a goal, home and away. We've beaten Valencia. You know, I know we we conceded a couple of goals, but we scored seven, seven, three on aggregate, you know, over the course of two legs against a a team, a good team, not a brilliant team, but a good team uh, who've been very difficult to beat at home this season in La Liga. You know, so we have to give credit where credit's
1: due. Yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone else has put four past them this season. Yeah, uh, I think only Atletico have put three past them, according to Unai Emery. So, yeah, we've we've been excellent, really, in yeah. Europe since that red match, um, and that bodes well. You have to hope.
2: Yep, uh, yeah, you do. Right, I, have you got anything else you want to talk about on the game? Because I think we've got a pile of questions about all kinds of things.
1: Um, no, I think let's just crack into the questions and uh, and see where that takes all us.
2: All right, we will take a break. We're going to come back in part two with your questions and more right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Patreon member Discord server. It's a chat server you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. You can sign up for a five or a month at Arsblog, no, at, at patreon.com. I'm all over the place. patreon.com <laughs> for forward slash Arsblog. Um, I just want to point out one thing or say one thing because we have had about 7 trillion questions along the mm. lines of would you take Arsenal losing in the Europa League final mm. if it meant, mm. blah, you know, that terrible thing, that thing we can't talk about.
1: You know, if that, it meant thing. that thing didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. if it meant so that I've thing happened. didn't happen. I've seen a lot of questions along l- those there's lines. There's a lot of that Um,
2: and uh, um, I don't want to answer that question because I don't feel like it's an either-or or or the choice is binary, and I don't want to have to think about that other thing, right? So Mm -hmm. let's hope listeners, friends, comrades, for a positive outcome in both European finals. All I can say is that I in the uh, in the days after the Europa League final whatever happens with Arsenal I am going to be a mug smasher for a, a little while <laughs> that's all I can
1: say yes hashtag you'll never walk alone yeah we are all uh, mug smashers now we are almost somos todos mug smashers uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely
2: Ma- absolutely Meske un mug smasher um. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> anyway. yeah I mean I it, it sort of doesn't it's almost impossible to contemplate how bad the bad thing would be, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah,
2: it is. So let's yeah. not, because this is a day of of happiness and celebration, because we're in a European final, and let's not dwell on what might be potentially the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to start with a question from the Discord chat server. It comes from Arsenal FCTX. And he says, there are many things we can discuss heading into the final in Baku. But really, the biggest question is, do you play check against Chelsea? Especially if he's going there to coach starting possibly the day after the final. Now, I'm not sure he's going to go and join Chelsea the day after the final because, you know, um, they'll be off on their holidays and stuff like that. So... Mm. Uh, but there is some talk the of him Nations,
1: going well it will be going off to the Nations League the, the, don't forget about the biggest competition in world football the Nations oh yes, League has got a semi-finals mm. um, yes he said didn't he he wants to be a coach and not a goalkeeping coach but a coach coach yes um, I, I don't think that matters at all really I think you know ultimately he doesn't want to lose his last game whoever it's against Um and, what, and by the way, what an incredible kind of narrative coincidence it is that what could be his final match is against the team where, you know, he probably played his best football. Yeah. Um, I find this one really difficult because I think that the decision's already made, to be honest. Yeah. I think Czech is going to play... I think Jack knows he's going to play. I think Leno knows Czech is going to play. And I think Unai Emery knows what he's going to do. So it, it feels a little bit academic to debate it. I would probably still go for Leno, I have to say. Um, if it were my choice, I would go for Leno. And I even think it doesn't really rob Czech of an occasion. He's still part of the squad. He's still part of that. Night, nah, it, does, you know... it does, it does, it does, it does, it does. <sighs>
2: You know, you can say being part of the squad and what have you, but if you're sitting on the bench for a European final, you know, as magnanimous as you would like to be, you're not really involved in the way you would want to be. You don't, I, 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 I guess you don't really feel like, like if you're an outfield player, potentially you can come on and make a contribution. Very. The only reason you're coming on as a goalkeeper is... Well,
1: Leno might go full Layman in the final. Ah. We don't know. Um, yeah you're right I suppose it's different for a goalkeeper your chances of being involved are limited but don't put it beyond Arsenal in a European mm. final uh, I suppose I, I suppose I sort of don't really I think I call me cold-blooded I think that, that is still the call I would make yeah. but I don't think it's what's going to happen
2: yes I don't think it's what's going to happen either and I, I, it was interesting I think Tim Stillman made a good point on the the Arsenal Vision podcast about how we're maybe not considering what it might do to Emery's standing within the squad if he rolls back on a decision that we all believe to have been made. And a commitment perhaps that he has given to to Petr Cech, you are the European goalkeeper. Um, I wonder if he has explicitly said to him, you will play in the final if we get there. Um, but I suppose the fact that he has played him in every uh, in every round to the final suggests that he's made that commitment to him. I mean, yeah, if you're cold blooded, I think you play your best goalkeeper, and I think Leno is our our best goalkeeper. Um, so yeah, look, I I think I would I would also go for Leno, and I'd feel bad. Because the dream scenario is Petr Cech winning against Chelsea in his final game as a professional, uh, lifting a trophy for Arsenal, being involved. Um, but in order to give us the best chance of winning the game, I think Leno is is what I would do. But again, like you say, I think it's academic. I think he'll pick. I think he'll pick Czech.
1: I think he will pick Czech. and and I would say you know as much as we were all sort of given to worry about this we've won cup finals before with the likes of Fabianski in goal with uh, Ospina Ospina in goal against Chelsea let's not forget and I don't think I've said this before but I don't think the gap between Leno and Czech is as big as perhaps the gap was in the past with our our first choice and a deputy um so look, uh, there, there is a romantic part of me that would absolutely love check to win this game and go out on that high, uh, and find it very funny if he denied Chelsea the trophy mm. in in his last ever match. Um, but yes, I, I, if it was a purely uh, footballing decision, I think, I think you know you'd want as a fan you'd probably want Leno to play, wouldn't you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, there's any chance that Aaron Ramsey might be fit?
1: I've been thinking about this. I mean, it did seem a little bit premature when they were like his season's over. It must be a bad hamstring injury, mustn't it? Hmm. Given that they initially said two to three weeks. Yeah. And, and when was it? When did what match was he injured in?
2: Napoli away.
1: So that was the 18th of April.
2: Right. So you're talking. Already
1: three weeks. Yeah.
2: So it'll be six weeks. I wonder. I wonder. You know, I remember when Lucas Podolski had a hamstring injury, a really bad one that kept him out for maybe three months.
1: Yeah, it was 12 weeks, something like that. But if
2: I'm right in what I remember, he was stretchered off the pitch. (laughs) He was in bits. And I think Mm. Ramsey just kind of walked off. Um, So I wonder. I, I mean. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Even if he was just fit enough for the bench?
1: Yeah, it would. I, have, I actually wondered as well. I mean, I think it feels like a decision's been made on this, but I thought there was an outside chance Danny Welbeck might get back playing before the end of the season. But mm. I've not seen him involved with the under-23s or anything like that. So with that level of match practice, I, I think, think it's difficult to envisage him being in the in the match day squad. But Ramsey, you know, given that he's been playing all season... Uh, it, it is a prospect, isn't it? It's a possibility. I hope we know Emery's asked about it in his pre-Burnley press conference because, yeah, I sort of hope against hope that it could happen.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, you'd feel a bit more confident even with a 75, 80% fit Aaron Ramsey to come off the bench in the last 20 minutes yeah. if we
1: needed him. You even know, if it's just that, 20 minutes off the bench, I think, you know, he could make a real impact. Mm. So... Because uh, I, I, w- I will say our bench didn't look particularly strong last night, I thought. Not
2: from an attacking time. point of view, you know. it's No, no. There's not a, there's not a lot there that you would necessarily have um, huge faith in to turn things around if you needed it. So, mm. so yeah. Okay, well, look, fingers crossed, maybe they got the old uh, horse placenta out or whatever the hell kind of poultice they can make up and make things. Um, just slap it on his hamstring and send him out there
1: yes indeed that would be lovely yeah. uh, this question comes from the Discord and it's from Brownlow03 uh, we had a, lot of, a few questions about this Damien Clarkson on Twitter as well but Brownlow said what do you think Ainsley Maitland-Niles should do next season in terms of his position I think he's filled in as well as could be expected at right back and right wing back but I don't believe he's good enough or will ever be good enough to be a long term option there
2: um, good question I don't know I don't quite know because unless we go out and buy a right back of some description Mm. this summer or promote a right back of some description this summer, I feel like Maitland-Niles is going to have to start the season there. Hector Bellerin's injury, it's normally about nine months, isn't it, Um, for a cruciate? So he did it at the end of January or mid-January. You're probably talking September before you can start bringing him back in. And at that point, you also need to be cognizant of the fact he's been out for nine months and not just slap him back in and play him every week in every game. Hmm. So I'm not 100% sure. I think there was another question here. Let me just see if I can find it. It comes from Tiernan Mullins. Um, And let me know what you think about this. Uh, he's on Twitter at Tiernan Mole. He says, when, Be- when Bellerin is fully fit, how would you feel about moving Ainsley Maitland-Niles into a midfield three with Torreira and Xhaka slash new signing? I like the sound of that new signing guy. Um, do you feel the system could fit in with both Lacazette and Aubameyang? Um, so what, what do you think about maybe moving him back into the center of midfield where Arsene Wenger has always said he sees uh Maitland Niles, even though Maitland Niles said he, he kind of fancies himself as a as a winger.
1: Yeah, and I have to say on the I think was it the there was only an FA Cup game against Blackpool, I believe, where he started on the <laughs> yeah. on the wing, but I thought he was quite impressive on that occasion. And when you see what he can do last night in terms of his acceleration and his crossing mm-hmm. ability, um you that becomes a tempting prospect. I actually like Maitland Niles as a wing back. I think in a in a five, you know, with with wing backs on either side, I think he's he's got a lot of the attributes, and I think he could have a real future there. I'm a little bit less convinced of his capacity to play in a back four, um, and, and I think that's where I would like this team to go in the future is towards a back four. So yeah. it's a little bit of a concern for me, maybe that that's not the most natural position for him. I think my inclination is given our spending restrictions and our budgetary issues that if we can make a right back of Maitland-Niles and given that it's still fairly early in his sort of development into that position, I would probably persist with that. I feel like we need him most there Mm. and it seems to me like a, a sensible solution. I'm not against the idea of him getting games in central midfield too at some point because when Bellerin comes back, you know, I think he'll be first choice on the right-hand side. Yeah. Uh, but I think Maitland-Oz at this stage, to me, he seems like someone who whose value is as a bit of a utility player, someone who can provide cover in a couple of areas and save us a bit of money and improve our homegrown quota. I sort of think that's kind of where he is for now. And, and if, if he moves into a central midfield position in the future, then so be it. But I don't feel the need to immediately start playing in there. That's Mm. kind of how I see it. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you know, sometimes versatility can be a
2: really good thing, but it can also... (laughs) Be something of an impediment to a player because they never nail down a position that's well and truly their own and we find ourselves in yeah. a position where we're saying oh well he played there but that's not really his position oh he's played over there today but that's not really his position and then we end up in a situation like we had with with Oxley Chamberlain for example who was playing here there and fucking everywhere and nobody really knew what his best position was. Well, we I think we kind mm. of knew with Oxley chamberlain where his best position was. It was sort of in central midfield because when you think about the good games that he had for us, or so the games where he stood out, it was in there. Mm. But there was never any real desire on anybody's part to see him given a run of games there on a regular basis, certainly not by, by Arsene Wenger. He only ever used him there when he had to. So I think he is still very much in the development phase of his career, but also at some point he's got to try and define who he is and what he wants to be. Um, and that can happen with discussions, you know, with the manager and uh, and everything else. So I think next season I would like I to see a true. move to that.
1: I think that's true. But I, yeah, I think that's true. I don't think we're quite at that point yet. He's, he's, no. he's 22 in August. So he's maybe a little bit older than... You might imagine he is because he's been out on loan, uh, you know, and is part of, he's sort of part of the Awobi generation, really. Um, I think the, the thing with me with Maitland-Niles is I don't look at Maitland-Niles and think we must find a way for this guy to get into our starting eleven every week. But for me, yeah, yeah. that's not what I see. I see someone whose value is sort of as a squad player. You know, in the same way... Like a Danny Welbeck, I know he's an older player, but you know, I, I wouldn't be like, well, he wants to play centre forward, therefore he must play centre forward. Every sure, week. I'd sort of see him as a kind of jack of all trades to an extent. Mm. And Maitland Niles is, is, at the moment, is I regard as that sort of player too. Um, I think we, I think we do need something else in central midfield though, and that's the part of the question I definitely agree with, and I also am. Um, uh curious about the idea of a central midfield trio. I mean it's something Emery did a few times earlier this season. I don't know if you remember and he took quite a lot of stick for it at the time because I think of when he deployed it. But he did go with sort of on a in a couple of games with Genduzi, Shaka, and Torreira. Um and I think that when he did that I think he was moving towards something he might like to do. So, sort of a back four with a midfield three, and then something more uh, more attacking ahead of that. The problem with that is, how do you get two strikers on the pitch? You know, it's not. Um, yeah. mm. I mean, I suppose you go to something like the diamond, which we have used quite successfully. But uh, yeah, I, I think last night was an occasion where I thought Shakira and Torreira could have done with an extra player helping them out and um, you know we had Meza Ozil playing ahead but in some ways someone deeper might have been more valuable to them yeah I don't
2: know yeah I, I felt maybe Ozil could have dropped in a bit um, at times but you know really in the- it's
1: hard you don't know what his instructions are yeah as of, well, course. So of course of,
2: you of course
1: you don't know where to apportion blame for
2: that mm. really Um, Is it my question or your question? I think it could be mine because I I just co-opted one at the end there. Um, Yeah, go on then. It's yours. Okay. So this comes a couple here. Uh, first one from Matthew Cooper, who's at Cooper on Cooper M on Twitter. He says, having convincingly harpooned our Premier League season so that Sunday has little to no importance, is it even worth putting Lacazette and Aubameyang on the bench? While Henry Powell, who's at AFC Henry P, says, do we rest everyone at Burnley now and give the likes of Enketia and the rest of the kids a run out?
1: I think you might as well rest pretty much everyone I mean I have a little bit of a concern that is going to want to play to try and get the golden boot what is uh, them
2: oh how far behind is he
1: I think he's two behind maybe uh, let's have a look I'm looking golden it up here yeah. I mean I know Mo Salah is out in front on 22. 22 and is he on 19 Aubameyang 20 20 so it is two off yeah um I've I, i I've just have sort of got an inkling that he's had his eye on that all season and having coming off the back of a hat-trick, I wonder if he'll be wanting to play. I mean, ultimately, it won't be his decision, will it?
2: No. Although he could express his desire to play to Unai Emery, who might well be open to
1: to giving him that chance. Um, but also, how many, you know... How many chances is he going to get in a game if we put him out there with 10 kids? You know.
2: Well, that's it. I mean, I don't think he is going to play 10 kids. I think he will play a sort of fringy team, but will he play 10 kids? I don't think he can. You know, who's I'm he playing left back?
1: Look, uh, I'm just having a look at the league table. So we are one point ahead of Manchester United. Their did, final g- game who? is at home to Cardiff. So right, you so have to winning. think... They'll be winning that. And I think Emery will want to finish as high up the table as possible, despite his frustrations at not making top four. So yeah. I, I agree it's not going to be a team of kids. I think, you know, it might be a bit of an El Nenny game, mm. you know. But there's a long time between this match and the final. So it wouldn't surprise me if he takes a couple of chances.
2: Yeah, there's Let's- also... Uh, uh- A one and a half million pound difference in prize money between finishing in fifth and sixth. So, if we finish, you know, if we drop points and United go above us, we finish sixth, and that's a million and a half pounds, which isn't, doesn't sound like a huge amount of money in the grand scheme of things, but it's still, (laughs) uh, it's still something that could go into the pot or pay Mesut Ozil's wages for a month, a month and a week, Mm. you know. So, Uh, There's that demand as well. So I think the length of time between, well, I would definitely be inclined um, just out of uh, sheer panic and the doom bells in my head going off uh, about important players getting injured. I personally would be inclined to rest anybody that's important, uh, but I don't think that's what Unai Emery will do or how he will approach it or how he'll even be thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I think he will rest uh, the likes of Koscielny. I think he yeah. might rest a Monreal. Well, know, Kolasinac
2: came off injured, so he may have no choice but to play no, Monreal.
1: Uh, was it an injury it looked like cramped to me can I snatch but I don't, I
2: don't know. know I think he got a kick in his arse and right, yeah, okay. I don't quite know uh,
1: I think hang on. a... one second okay.
2: James someone's at the door one second alright hang on
1: hopefully puts the music in this bit
2: Hello. Well? He, well? Yeah, all well. Do you know what actually happened today, which is weird? Twice what? a seagull has landed on the window outside my office, started pecking at the the glass, and then fucked off. Interesting.
1: I, I, like I'm, I'm the birds of, or something. Yeah, Terrifying. I'm kind of
2: scared. Like, is he stress testing the, the window pane? Next is it the time same seagull? Yeah. He's white. That's how I know.
1: Yeah, yeah, must be
2: the same one wow. anyway
1: what were we talking about we were talking about Burnley and what we oh, think yeah. the team will be Um and I was saying I think Lucas Torreira might be another who's rested just because I feel like he's been nursed through a little bit mm. and he came off early against Valencia um, and didn't play did he the, the Premier League game Oh so, no the first leg he didn't play so
2: let, let's try and pick a team I, I think you'll pick Leno I think it'll be Mustafi. Ma- Maitland-Niles. I think he's going to play a back four. I think it'll be Mustafi. and Maybe he'll play Mavropanos.
1: Yeah, and, and Monreal.
2: Monreal. And I think we could play midfield of, I think it might be Elneny, Gendouzi, and hmm.
0: And
2: then I think he's going to play Iwobi, Mkhitaryan. Because he's not going to play Mesut Ozil in Burnley, is he? Messi doesn't go that far anyway. He doesn't go up that. <laughs>
1: um, uh, I mean, maybe he'll play you, Maybe.
2: Yeah, maybe he'll give it... Yeah. And he could have the one of them on the bench or both the strikers on the bench. Yeah. I'd be happy enough with that because, like, basically, who gives a fuck about this game? I know there's a million and a half pounds, but...
1: Pff. Yeah, who needs it? No, man. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that sounds about right. Mm. I think... There's an outside chance someone like Joe Willock gets a game because uh, he's just been on the fringes of the squad, hasn't he? And mm. been on the bench a few times. But yeah, I think we'll see Mavropanos. I think we might see, might be a farewell appearance for Licksteiner. You never know. Mm. Mm. Um, Did but he yeah. not have that the other, the other day yeah, at you know, Burnley? Yeah, you know, the guard of honour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I will see. I mean, I. If I'm honest, it's a game I can barely be bothered to watch. <laughs> yes, especially with interesting things going on in the in the title race. I feel like I probably have one eye on that game and one eye on things elsewhere. But really, it's all about the final now. Yeah. I noticed Chelsea are going away. You know, they are. Um, they're off on to, to play a friendly in America between the last Premier League game and the no Europa way final. really. Yeah, Are they, and Sari's not happy about it. It's been arranged for a while. I think it's for charity, but yeah, it's been in their calendar I think for some months now, and he's given out about it. And I'm delighted. It seems like a sort of a needless distraction. So if I was got-
2: if I was Sari, which I'm not, I would pick just eleven kids from the yeah. academy and say, "Fuck that! We've got to, you know, imagine." If they play Hazard and he picks up an injury against, who are they playing? Who are they playing in the in the US?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. Let's have a look. Chelsea. Chelsea uh, post-season friendly in the US. It's an American team, as I recall. Yes. The New Kalamazoo Doodle Hoppers. That's it. It's the Kalamazoo Doodle Hoppers, um, a.k.a. the New England Revolution. Right. Uh, just three days before the final.
2: What? That's yeah. fucking i'm sorry i mean i'm i'm glad that it's happening from our point of view but i mean i'll be amazed if it goes ahead me too it'll be absolutely fucking
1: stupid Or maybe they'll just send kids like do you know what i mean they literally won't send the first two yeah i don't know fingers crossed they all go to america and
2: yeah i don't know know what either but you know yeah exactly injure themselves Um, Okay. I have got a question here, and it comes from somebody whose name I can't remember because I can't find it. Uh, God. Oh, did just this one here from uh, Niranjan R. Kolkarni who says, Season player ratings for all the squad players and the manager from you guys? Yes, but watch out for that. That'll be on arsblog.com. Next week, we'll do an end-of-season player ratings and manager rating post on the website rather than on the podcast Um Maybe we can do one on the podcast as well, but that will be coming up on com next week, so watch out for that. The question that I have, which I can't find... Okay, here it is from Peter Hust. Who's that, Peter Hust who says, Goodly morning, gents. Is Emery's first season a success if we win in Baku and not if we don't? Uh,
1: yes. And yes. Should I say yes? I, I, I mean, ultimately... If he if he wins the trophy in Baku, he has done what he was asked to do. He's done something uh, that
2: Arsene Wenger could never do, which yes. is win a European trophy.
1: Now, now look, obviously I appreciate it's not as black and white as yes, all of course, that. Yes, I, I know. And there have been good and bad things in this season. But I think if we manage to squeak into the Champions League this season, we all have to look upon that as a success. Um I had this question uh, yeah. from uh, CY Guna on Twitter saying, do you think Emery is a second season manager? He was poor at PSG in first season, then won the treble. He has got good results against big teams, but underestimated the mid-table teams. If he adds a few of his players and treats all with respect, do you think he could do better mm. next year?
2: Well, I mean, the the one reservation I would have about that is, you know, if he could add his players... That's not the yeah. thing that gives me a great deal of confidence because Dennis Suarez was one of his players um uh, and that didn't work out and I'm not sure you know he was the right fit for us anyway, even if he'd stayed fit mm-hmm. um, could he be a second season manager? look if he can maintain the kind of level of performance that he's he's got us to uh, in the big games against the big teams and also tottenham um and improve. <laughs> where we've been weak, then certainly we could make progress. Uh, if we have Champions League football, if we can invest properly in the squad, you can see how it would be um, feasible for us to be better next season than we have been this season. I don't think that's you know an outrageous thing to say. I do think it really depends on, on what happens in this final, though. I think how Emery's first season is judged rests on this game Mm. you know if we win we can not necessarily forget the way we blew the top four but it becomes less relevant because we are where we want to be but but if we don't win then I'm afraid that comes swimming back into very sharp focus and raises a lot of questions about about how the season can be judged judge me in May well we're in May now and you know if this season were ending without a European final I don't think you could say it was a a success Um, so it is what it is it's on the final and it's it's on what we do in the final
1: you know yeah I I suppose the only thing I would say is that if we uh, don't win the final I don't think that I don't think that transforms it from success to Abject failure. I just think it means we didn't get what we want. Um, mm. That's that's my opinion. You know, there has sure. to be a middle ground. No, between. no, I
2: agree with you. I mean, abject failure is finishing mid table, or something.
1: Yeah, exactly. yeah.
2: But again, we come back to the context of of the Premier League failure. That's you know that's mm. uh, that's not a factor we can ignore. I don't think because we were we were in a position to do something. Um, quite good in Premier League terms I, you know I think we were reading back myself and uh, Andrew Allen we were reading back over the um, the season remember we did a post on the website myself, yourself Tim and uh, Andrew and myself we all wrote something about uh, what we expected from the season and it was basically oh well, look, yeah if interesting he can, if he can finish in the top four then that will be absolutely a successful season because, uh, yeah, just because that would be an amazing thing uh, to do with this particular squad. I've just, there's a great line here that I have to, <laughs> I have to dig out because it's um, it's really very funny. Hang on one second.
1: No problem. Uh, uh, yeah, I, you keep uh, talking uh, there su- for a minute while I. Fly. No, I was just going to say I suspect. Uh- I probably must have said something along those lines because, you know, I didn't think it was particularly likely. But you're right. I mean, having had it sort of on a plate to not get it is hugely frustrating. And it is kind of absurd that uh, the perception of an entire season will come down to one game, but Mm. that is the nature of cup finals. And to a certain extent, it doesn't matter... How we win it, it doesn't matter the mm. style we play within the final, which might suit Emery. It's yeah. just about the result of this time. <laughs> yeah, it is.
2: It was quite funny to read back on the post. Um, I'll stick it in the show notes, uh, the link to it. I'll stick it in the show notes uh, so you can click on it yeah. from your podcast app and have a look. Uh, but we all expressed uh, some serious concerns about you know, our defence um, and those, uh, those were borne out. But I like this. Uh, you say, I suspect there will be plenty of positives this season. We'll surely be more robust away from home. <laughs> <laughs> so we know who to blame now. We
1: know who to blame. And, uh, the, and at the start of the season, it seemed like I was going to be right, but yeah. then those chickens really came yeah. home to roost in mm. in horrific uh, fashion. Well, Today. don't ask me what's going to happen next season, that's for sure. I don't know. No. Um, what about this question? Okay. I, I know it may not be my turn, but I'm it seems relevant so we talked about Emery's second season and the possibility of his players and what happens in the summer well Gaz Arsenal asks what are your thoughts on Edu taking the technical director role is this more about his links with Kia Jorabchian than his knowledge of Brazilian football given how difficult it is for South Americans to get a visa here if so what do you think about us dealing with super agents I'd I'd, I'd just broaden the Mm. question really to be like what what was your reaction to the, the Edu story
2: uh, well, I'm pleased we're doing something, uh, you know, uh, because it's a, it's a role that very badly needs to be filled. I think Edu has done pretty good work uh, in the past and with the Brazil national team. It's a different kind of job, of course, coming to Arsenal and, and being technical director. Um, you know, I think the the number of intelligent, successful administrators in the world of football is much smaller than we would like You know, Manchester United have had seven years of Ed Woodward, for goodness sake. So even the biggest clubs in the world are finding it hard to attract, you know, high quality staff. Edu might be a bit of a jump into the unknown, a bit of a gamble, but, you know, he knows the club. He knows the club in an era when success was demanded. You know, there were big characters in that squad uh, and people who didn't accept second best, and I'm not saying that they're, you know, that's the culture at Arsenal right now, but, you know, we've spoken many times about it, is the desire for success as strong as it was in the past? I'm not quite sure. You know, it feels like things have become more comfortable. So on that basis, I'm 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 happy that we're giving somebody the job, that he's got a connection to Arsenal is quite interesting, i.e., I think there's something really quite interesting happening with Freddie Jumberg as a coach. I could be wrong. It's just a gut feeling I have, a gut feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, something plays into that, you know, with, with Edu, former Invincible, Freddie Jumberg as well. Maybe that's something that we're going to build for the future. But, look, we have to get that role filled. Um, there's some talk that he's agreed the deal since March, which doesn't really tally considering we were trying to appoint Manchi, um back then. But the worry I suppose I have is that he, how much is he going to be involved in this summer?
1: Um Depends what you believe, I guess, because, yeah. you know, we're said to be on the verge of signing, is it Martinelli, a young yeah. Brazilian winger? Difficult to imagine he's not been in some yeah, capacity of course. involved.
2: Yeah, and it's, you know, um, yeah, you'd have to think he, he is. Uh, he says he's focused on the Copa America with Brazil, which I'm sure he is. But if there are discussions going on um, with Arsenal, maybe he is driving or helping to drive some of our our transfer business and transfer uh, targets. Yeah. Um, I'd just like to see whoever it is come in and be given the responsibility, you know, uh, and come in and um, someone who's allowed make changes and do things differently. Because at the moment, I think we're relying on far too much of what, what came before, people who've been there for a very long time, um, which isn't to say that they're terrible at doing their jobs, but, you know, it feels like that part of the club could do with a, a good refresh. And we had that with Sven, um, and he's gone. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy enough. If Edu comes in, um, let him get on with his work and, and hopefully he can make a big impact. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting appointment. Uh, I think, I'm, I'm sure Tim Stillman will write about this over the coming weeks and months, but I think his work at Corinthians was was decent enough. He's someone who's got ties not just in South America but in Spain too. Of course he played for Valencia, so he presumably has connections there. I, I do think it's interesting that we've gone for someone with the knowledge of the South American market because Monchi fitted that bracket too. When you look at his major signings for Sevilla, you're looking at people mm. like Danny Alves, Julio Batista, you know, people who came from South America and made a massive impact in Europe and, you know, maybe that's an area where if we can find a way around those uh, visa regulations we might be able to get a bit of a competitive edge on some yeah. of our rivals and that's something we might need you know Arsene wenger gave that in france 20 years ago and uh if if ed is able to do something similar that would be fantastic i think as well with these visa regulations you know oftentimes brazilians are able to qualify by hook or crook but via spanish or italian passports i think the guy martinelli we're talking about uh might be getting an Italian passport. And who knows as well what will happen to those visa regulations for non-EU workers when everything happens with Brexit. Things might shift a little bit. So I, I'm not too worried about that. And if he's got links with Jurabshian, I think, unfortunately, the reality is that Arsenal will have to work with these super agents. And we've started that process already. You see what it's done for someone like Wolves, who are firmly in bed with Mm. uh, Jorge Mendes. So I think Arsenal are going to have to accept that this is the world that football is now and and we're going to have to deal with those guys. And if Edu's someone with the clout and the connections to do that, Mm. that's probably a good thing. Do you see the story
2: about Mino Raiola potentially being banned from doing any transfer business this summer? So if Arsenal wanted to Mm. move Henrik Mkhitaryan, (laughs) it might complicate that. I'm not saying it would be impossible. Look, you know, um, I do... I do worry a little bit about us getting into bed with these big agents when we're a club with a relatively limited transfer budget because the big agents take big fees. Um, And it'll be interesting to see a year from now. Don't they normally... There is a... uh, a publication or a list of things published yeah, they do publish where they say this is how much each club has paid to agents, so we'll, we'll wait and see who, you know what happens there if that's the thing but I suppose when you are dealing with if you want big players um, then that's part and parcel of it. One of the things I did hear was that a lot of our targets for this summer are young players right young players who aren't going to cost an absolute bomb. So I don't see us going out and buying anyone of the stature of an Ozil or a Mkhitaryan or Aubameyang or anybody like that. I think we are going to try and identify emerging talent, developing talent who can fulfill their potential with us um, and hopefully integrate them with experienced players um, who can help them along. So,
1: I think that's exciting, and I think that's what we have to do. I think we have to, really. If yeah. you look at the age profile of our squad, if you look at, you know, historically, how many times we've bought players and then lost them for a fraction of that value, we have to invest in youth. And whether it whether that means Torreiras, so people in their early 20s who already have a bit of a profile and are ready to step straight into the first team, or whether it means, you know, teenagers who might arrive and sort of, you know, have to bide their time a little. Um, I think that's an encouraging sign. And I think we made a lot of signings, didn't we, in the last couple of years? Who were sort of 28, 29, 30. Mm. At some point, we have to balance that out.
2: Yeah, for sure sure Uh, okay let's have one final question before we go and we're going back to Baku uh, when Mm -hmm. Chelsea turn up with half a squad because they've been beaten by the Kalamazoo uh, doodle hoppers Mm -hmm. Uh, all their players are on crutches and what have you nevertheless they somehow somehow managed to hold us to a draw who would be your five penalty takers if it goes to a shootout in the final
1: wow okay okay assuming everyone is on the pitch yeah I would have Aubameyang and Lacazette yeah without much thought I think I would have Granite Shaka. even though he's got miswritten absolutely all over him hasn't he he does Um I think I'd have Lucas Torreira okay I mean it's not easy you know it's not easy with this Arsenal no it's three. not and I think my fifth taker would be Nacho Monreal. I'm not saying he would be fifth in the order, but I think yeah. in terms of his technical level and his composure, I think he'd be in for me. What about you?
2: Yeah, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Monreal, Torreira, and then I'm kind of a little bit stuck. However, Who's in your head? Ozil? Ar- Aaron Ramsey's in my head. Aaron oh, yeah, Ramsey. Aaron
1: Ramsey, of course
2: coming onto the pitch with half an hour to go hits the post forces a great save from Keppa. but this is his moment this is his Vieira against Manchester United moment James
1: mm. he steps up True. with a goodbye. penalty
2: to win a cup for Arsenal having scored a winner in a cup final against Hull a winner in a cup final against Chelsea here it is this is his moment he steps up he blasts the ball into the top corner He falls to the ground. His hamstring is no longer connected to anything in his leg. But it doesn't matter. The players carry him high on their shoulders. Our Welsh Jesus has won the Europa League for us. That's who I've got in my head
1: a beautiful image and if he doesn't make it Petr check to take the fifth penalty smash it into the top corner oh my goodness, imagine <laughs> throw his helmet into the crowd it would be a beautiful, beautiful sight um, yeah, sure um, would. Peter Cech's on helmet the, subject of the Baku, Europa Bellerwin, League go on, yeah <laughs> one, one final question which comes from Stephen Barr on Twitter and uh, Stephen says do you think it's any coincidence that UEFA have chosen a location for the Europa League final that rhymes with fuck you <laughs> uh, I just have to say, I feel desperately sorry for the fans travelling. It's incredibly expensive, incredibly tricky. There are only six thousand tickets it's allocated. Absurd, to isn't it? It really is absurd. It is a complete joke, and uh, yeah, I think it's a the, the the you know I understand they've got to move the final around. I understand they've got to share it um, and you know shift it to different parts of Europe. In inverted commas, mm. fair enough. But the allocation and the Transport issues are just so problematic for fans, and uh, yeah, I, I honestly take my hat off to those Arsenal fans who will be making it is. Sure it's yeah, a
2: it's a boring, horrendous but- trip. I was looking at flights last night, and they're all via. Uh, Russia or Turkey had to go to, you know, from Dublin anyway, you would have had to go to Istanbul and then go to, uh, there were somewhere, the yeah. You know, so no, it, it, it is an awful destination for uh, a final, particularly between two London clubs. The ticket allocation is an absolute disgrace. Um, mm-hmm. It really is. And, and also, I saw some of the prices for the uh, Champions League final tickets. Holy fuck. Some yeah. of them are like five hundred pounds. It's like what? The, I mean, I know it's the the biggest game of football in the in the world and what have you, but like fuck's sake! And and you know, it is is a perhaps an old trope to say you know football is nothing without the fans, but they they seem to make decisions that take fans inside the stadium. Um, for granted more and more and more. And that goes from, you know, the location of this particular game to the way that VAR is implemented and, and what have you. And, uh, you know, they're they're going to push the game towards a breaking point, uh, you know, sooner rather than later if they keep this up. They don't listen to anybody. Um, mm. And, you know, the, the atmosphere of that game will suffer because of the fact it is where it is. And most of the people there will be neutral slash corporate fans. You know, I know a lot of Arsenal fans and a lot of Chelsea fans will get tickets, um, you know, by hook or by crook. And a lot of the ones that went out for ballot uh, will probably go on the black market and some people will get rich selling those things. It's just awful. It really is. Um, So there you go. Yeah, no doubt that's something we'll talk about a bit more in the weeks ahead.
1: I'm sure we'll have plenty of time We'll have plenty of time First Burnley
2: (laughs) First Burnley And just one final one Avi Bunjan Who's at Avi Bunjan Says Dennis Bergkamp is 50 today What was your favourite moment From the Dutch maestro?
1: Oh I mean We did a whole podcast Didn't we For the Patreon Which is definitely worth listening to If you haven't yet about Yeah uh, Really good one Dennis Bergkamp's finest moments, his entire Arsenal career. We talked about really, uh, I, and I think I picked my favourite Bergkamp goal as the goal against Sunderland. Um, is that the one I mean, or is it Barnsley? I forget.
2: I yeah, I certainly. I think I picked the one against Sunderland. Maybe you picked a different one. Maybe you? I
1: picked that. I can't remember. Listen back to it. You'll have to see. I mean, there are so many to choose from. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, look, there's so many great girls, and the Newcastle girl is another one. Um, yeah. Oh. Just countless, really. Countless. Happy a, birthday, Dennis. Happy
2: birthday. What an impact he had on this football club. And that is, you know, that is something we talk about. We go through his entire Arsenal career. So if you're not a Patreon member, sign up and listen to that. Um, Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Uh, there's also one there on Robert Perez as well. There's more to come actually in that series about the players. Um, so that's it. We will uh, We will talk on Monday after mm-hmm. the all-important Burnley game on Sunday. Um, but I'm very happy and delighted that we've had uh, a, a mostly upbeat podcast, uh, and getting to a European final is a is a great thing. It's been it's been fun to share something good with you.
1: Yes, it has, and with you at home as well. Thanks for listening through the torturous, difficult ones. Yes. And, uh it's lovely that we've all got something to celebrate. Let's hope we have even more to celebrate come the 29th of
2: May. Absolutely. All right, folks, we'll leave it there. We will catch you on the next one. Have yourselves a great weekend. And here's to a 7 nil win over Burnley and Tottenham losing 3 nil to whoever the fuck it is they're playing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.